Hey guys, and welcome to Fatherhood. You are listening to the Dads Group Podcast, a place where you and I get to connect with incredible leaders, shape the future of fatherhood together, and dig deeper into what is happening inside the minds and hearts of new and expecting fathers. In this episode, we will be listening to the CEO of SMS for Dads, Richard Fletcher. SMS for Dads is simple but powerful. Text messages sent straight to dad's phones with tips, information, and links to other services to help fathers understand and connect with their baby and support their partner. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we all meet on today. I'd like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have listening to this episode today. Cheers, guys. But it's an, an absolute joy to have you on and... Um... And we'll get to know you as the as we go through this interview. But I wanted to ask you first, Richard, what uh, fatherhood means to you personally? Um, well, just about everything, really, I suppose. Um, it's been a big deal for me um, from when I was um, in my early 20s, uh, having uh, my first family and as a stepdad, and now uh, as a grandfather, uh, I have my grandkids on a, a regular basis. So I feel like it's been an important part of my existence really, and my way of thinking about myself. Uh, I, uh, I can't really put myself in the place of people who, for their own very good reasons, decide not to have children, because being around children is, is such an important um, part of it, even if it isn't always stress-free. Um, it's still uh, nourishing in, in a way that if I haven't seen kids for a while, like being a grandparent, my kids have grown up and have moved out. So I only see little kids um, occasionally when I, when I go there or have them over here. So it's a, it's a key part of who I am. And, Almost by accident, it's also been a key part of my work so that it wasn't where I started, but it's certainly where I've ended up. Uh, okay, so great, great point. And, and that actually does lead, it's a great little segue into what I was going to ask you next as well, is that how is this, what you just said uh, was, was beautiful. So how is this reflected in some of your personal life then? How is the work reflected? Yeah, well, how is, you, you were talking then about um, how important it is for you to be engaged and involved in, in children's life, whether it's your own or whether it's your grandchildren or, um, or other children of the family or uh, people that you're connected with. Um, so that's really important to you. And you were talking about it in a, in a sense to me as a per, in your personal life. So how is, how is some of this stuff reflected in what you do professionally? Uh, well, father's engagement, I think, uh, is a key theme in what we do. But in terms of sticking up for dads, uh, I think uh, there's an obvious uh, personal benefit. The more we recognise how important dads are and the more we uh, take care of dads or men as they transition to being a dad, well, the better it'll be for all of us. Uh, and that's because uh, personally, you know, for me, fatherhood is crucial. So when we recognize fatherhood, well, I, 
I get a bit of the glow from that. But I think it's also in the fundamental um, caring role that fathers have, which is still largely unrecognised, I think. Uh, the more that is recognised and supported, well, if you just think about the, the effects of fathers in the world, well, that'd be a fantastic thing. That would mean more connected families, less conflict, um, less violence. Mm. And encouraging fathers caring and recognising that and supporting it, that's uh, what I see as my contribution to like world peace and, and making the planet better and pretty well everything, seems to me. Nice so a piece to the puzzle. Yeah. So that's sort of... Uh, my own perspective is definitely uh, focused on fathers and I see the potential for enormous benefits if we did a better job as a society of uh, recognising and supporting dads. Yeah, wonderful. And obviously as a father myself, it, that very much resonates with me. And, and, and again, I just, um, I just find it a thrill to hear you talk about it in that way. So is this how... Um, SMS for Dads, is this what, is this the foundations of how SMS for Dads came about? Uh, SMS for Dads came about because of the uh, frustration um, of trying to get dads to come to things. So I'd worked with services uh, over decades, um, all sorts of services, you know, childcare, GPs, hospitals, um, schools, preschools. Uh, running dad's things and uh, getting dads to come along and be part of things with the idea of being more connected to their children. And it was such a, a repeated experience to, oh, we advertise and we encourage them. And then on the night or the day, you know, it didn't matter really how many turned up. It was always a lot less than you wanted. You know, you really wanted them to be storming in the door, but that never <laughs> um, You could make a you know you could make the cut sometimes and you'd feel really pleased um the the work with the dads was satisfying so the early work we did in the some of the most disadvantaged areas of newcastle with dads groups um that was very satisfying but you know that was like 12 dads at a time and if you do the maths at all on how many dads were around then you it's not it's not a big step to say, well, however great this particular group is, that's really not reaching um, the majority of dads or even half of them or a fraction of them. So yeah. that frustration of trying to reach dads, I'd done um, a thesis on emailing dads uh, as a PhD where I tried emailing dads and recruited them through obstetricians and antenatal classes. And uh, supported them uh, with information and uh, and so on and links to somebody who could talk to them about uh, well trying to get them to trying to support their attachment with the baby and basically uh, it didn't have a great result because dad's sort of you know the emails were okay but it was uh, only a pilot and we didn't get uh, a sufficient sort of um, effect to think, oh, this is the way to talk to dads. So I left it at that point. And then some years later, um, Beyond Blue had a bit of spare change 
and we had a conversation and SMS <laughs> for Dads was born. That's fantastic. It's it's such a it's SMS for Dads. Um, I I love uh, talking to fathers, expecting fathers, new fathers about SMS for Dads and it's just something that, and I love talking about it because I truly believe in it. I just think it's such an incredible um, service to be providing. And so you talked about how it, uh, a, a point of engagement with dads that you are trying to get more on mass, but it's not just on mass. It's also something as an ongoing thing, as opposed to that one night that you talked about that you were trying to get, you know, the dad's flooding in. <laughs> so there wasn't enough coming into the space that you were wanting to impart your knowledge or have other people share their experiences of fatherhood to help fathers learn about, um, yeah, the, the, the nuances of fatherhood. And so you found a way through SMS to get people to connect with the fathers and engage them. But it's what I love about it is that it's an ongoing thing. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit more about that? Uh, well, when we had that conversation with Beyond Blue, it was what had just occurred to me was that uh, dads have phones. And so we could talk to them without getting them to come into something, you know, or, or log on to a website even or something like that. Like they didn't have to do much. If we could just get hold of their phone number and, and agreement, then we could talk to them um, like one small bit at a time, uh, and there were that was that was the starting point. And so we started where at sixteen weeks uh, gestation when dads could enrol, and we developed messages first uh, from then until birth, then from birth until six months, and then from birth until twelve months, and that's the set that we've got now. But it started off with a small set and we just tested it. And we that was a big surprise actually. We had about uh, six weeks of messages or maybe only four weeks. And we sent them out to dads. And at the end of it, we said, well, what did you think? And we, we were really uh, amazed at how enthusiastic they were. How they really said, oh, that, that was great. Yeah, I really like getting them. Um, and that was really helpful. And so that really encouraged me. And then we develop the next set and so on. And so now there's hundreds of messages um, for different um, uh, focuses. And so that's, that's where it started. And, and the idea is that if you're talking, say, three messages a week from early in the pregnancy till the baby's a year old, well, that's a lot of messages. That's a lot of whispers, if you like, in the dad's ear. Uh, so it's a way to uh, talk to dads and as dads leave and we say well goodbye good luck uh, we do get a lot of texts back saying oh don't go um, <laughs> uh, can I get these until my kid's 16 years old and <laughs> you know, dads really appreciate that um, and I think one of them expressed it as it's like um, a mate um, putting his hand on your shoulder uh, so that somebody there to sort of back you up uh, in a way that's not pushy or uh, too loud. And I think that's, that's the right tone we're after here. We're not trying to take over their lives. We're not trying to make them 
log on every week or every day or something. We just uh, provide the little messages and they've got links to more information, of course, but mm. that's the basis of it is the messages are really brief and you don't have to do anything. They arrive on your phone and we know when dads are at work, they mostly don't read them, but we send them during business hours usually. Uh, we try not to, you know, interrupt the rest of their life. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so we may, because we're doing it nationally, we take account of time zones and so on. Uh, so that's that's important that it's a brief message. Uh, it's uh, three times a week, roughly, and you don't have to do anything. We do keep track of when dads open links. And so we know that the average time between getting a message and opening a link is about two days. And dads oh, tell wow. us a lot that they say, well, I, you know, when I've got a minute, I go through them, I flick through the messages on my phone and, and read them then. Uh, and because they tell us when the baby's going to be born, uh, we know uh, quite a bit about what's happening in their family in the sense of we know that the baby is going to be developing in this way. That's uh, not a secret. And they forget that they tell us because we're talking to them with these messages three times a week. Um, and they've told us when the baby's going to be due, then the messages are synced to the baby's development. So they text back, especially after the birth, they send a text back and say, do you have a camera in our house? How did you know she was going to be rolling over? How, how did you know she was going to do that? Um, really, they literally say that, do you have a camera in our house? Because um, they feel like we're so spot on. Uh, so that's, that allows us to be spot on because they've told us when the baby's yeah. born. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's a, it's, an, it's a talk back message service too, though. So because you, you're talking about how they're writing back. So because well, a lot what, of services... That's what, what we ask for, actually. We ask for a couple of times we want responses, but the messages we get are not ones we ask for. And I think that's because really there aren't many places for a dad to go to talk mm -hmm. in a way where he doesn't have to explain himself. Um, I mean, you can call up a mate, of course, um, uh, but it isn't that common to call up a mate just to say, oh, we had mustard poos today. Um, you don't, <laughs> don't bother your mate with, you know, details and, and momentary excitement, but you can do a text. And so we mm -hmm. get, uh, the thing that surprised me most actually is that we don't know when the baby's born because we're not connected to the hospital system like that. We rely on the dads to tell us. And I am really amazed at how many dads tell us on the day of the birth. Wow. I think of me around the birth of my children, I was so, you know, stressed out and, and yeah. excited and <laughs> I think texting somebody would wouldn't never have occurred to me so I'm I'm quite uh, surprised by how many dads do text us on you know the next day and or the day yeah and oh that's so great and thank you for sharing that and I, I, I the more I get in involved in or engaged in conversations with expecting fathers uh the more I'm amazed in their approach. You got dads that go the ignorance is bliss pathway. You know, uh, I'll just I'll just wing it. <laughs> and you got <laughs> you got other dads that are I want to know everything. You know, I want to plan everything. I want to know every little bit of detail. Um, and I've heard some that the ignorance is bliss um, 
what worked well for them, you know, afterwards they found uh, for a period of time anyway. And then the others where going the planning route didn't quite work out either as well, where it, I'm not sure if I've heard someone tell me their birthing plan went to plan. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But it's interesting, you know, when you're at a PBC expo and you're talking to an expecting dad and they, you just see them, there's this sense of really relaxed. Um, I even had a dad that their um, wife was due in like three weeks and he was like, yeah, it hasn't really hit me yet. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a long way along to have not hit you yet. So you've got three weeks and it's really going to hit you hard, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You won't have a choice then. Yeah. No, no, you better catch. <laughs> um, Richard, like all of us as a, as a father, um, I, I, I've, I reckon I did at least two or three failings this morning dropping my kids off to daycare. So, you know, it happens. Is there a... a a fatherhood failing that you can recall um, that, that you've experienced from yourself over the years? Yeah, there's one that's really stayed with me because it's part of the work, so it's central to the work in a way, and that is the uh, when I was separating from uh, my partner and the children, that I underestimated how important I was. And you know, was thinking about myself and what I'd like to do now and things like that. And that's something that if I was talking to myself now, if I could go back and talk to that young 27-year-old Richard, um, I'd probably knock him around the head and say, wake up, stupid. Um, because it seems obvious to me now, and I see examples of it, that fathers are really important and their emotional support for their children doesn't uh, end at all when you're not in the house or not in, in an official role. Um, and that goes for stepdads and boyfriends and uh, as well as biological fathers. Mm. I think that we underestimate, we dads, and I certainly did, underestimated how important. And that uh, means that I was not sensitive to what was happening for those children that I didn't feel, how, I didn't register how they were feeling uh, abandoned. Uh, I assumed they'd be fine. And that was sort of a, a failing because it was about, you know, I wanted to get on and do things I was interested in. Uh, now I see that differently. Uh, and I, I see it even, you know, daily basis with my grandchildren. Uh, one of them was really upset the other day because I was, trying to get her to go to sleep and she wouldn't and you know I was I was really tired I wanted her to go to sleep so I could go to sleep um and uh, she started to really cry and then eventually we, we said you know well what are you what are you upset about and she said popper that popper that's me mm -hmm. Papa's face you know and I was sitting there with a stern look on my face like this you know and uh I thought oh gee I really didn't think you know what that I was, you know, transmitting that sort of disapproval that I was feeling uh, so mm. clearly. And I think, oh, yeah, that, that's still part of that picture, that what you do really matters. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's, what I would, that's what I carry with me, and I think that's a key point for dads. Yeah, it is, definitely. It is, and it's, again, if we talk about the stuff that, uh, that 
I'm really I'm really passionate about is, and I was just talking about this yesterday with one of the a service provider about how I feel like one of the most critical things for fathers to understand is how important they are in their child's life because I find that, uh, um, and the, the percentage I gave it, but it was around I'd say I'd argue that over ninety percent of fathers wouldn't know really understand anyway how important they are in their child's life um and what they what play playing with your child actually means and what it means for their development and all those sorts of things that we know mm. about um and, and i think and i i personally blame that you know the, the it's just not accessible to the average dad and i blame the the language that it's normally in as a you know and it just so in terms of, you know, you've had time, for, you said 27 to now, so you've had time to reflect and 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 sort of think about those sorts of things you were just talking about um, with your children. But is it, um, what's led you to understand that failing? Do you know what I mean? What, how is it, because at the time, did you, do you think you were aware of, of how important you were, but you ignored it? Or is it over time in this space you've learned more and more how important a father is that that has now led you to go, wow, I wish I knew this then to what I know now? Well, I think it's both. I mean, I'd like to say it was just lack of knowledge, but uh, if I was more honest, I'd say it was also just self-interest. I was, a bit, I was uh, more selfish in that age. Um, but I think the the lack of knowledge is important. I think you put it very well that we don't hear about, we don't have access to that. There isn't that language for dads. And part of the work that I've done was to try and document that. So that uh, big study we did of the uh, 3000 children in the longitudinal study of Australian children, uh, that data that we analyzed to see, well, if the dad had symptoms of depression, uh, like we've known for years that if mum has symptoms of depression, then the kids don't do so well as a group. That, that's why we have all these services for trying to stop postnatal depression and reduce it and treat it and so on. But for dads, there wasn't that evidence uh, in Australia, certainly. So when we looked at that data, uh, if the dad had symptoms of depression in the first year, then that child was three times as likely to have problems when they got to uh, preschool age. And that was a, a, big, uh, a big piece of the evidence that, just like for mums, the mm. way you react to your children, the way you play with them, you're, you're, because depressed dads, if you're feeling miserable and hopeless, then you're less likely to be an effective playmate and, and carer. So what dads do is important, just like mums. And that was like, that's from day one. So the idea of, is common with dads that they're important once the kids can kick a footy or or they're running around you can wrestle with them on the on the couch you know uh that that's true but it's also true that what you do uh, from birth uh matters and that's that's a big shift and i think that to give dads credit we didn't really know that that paper was published 2008 or or no 18 uh yeah recently relatively uh, and we didn't know that. We didn't have that good evidence that dads, uh, how dads interact with their babies 
um, affects the baby. I mean, now we've got good evidence that it affects the brain development. So it's not just about depression and, and behavior problems. It's about all the positive things too, that dads contribute to that baby's development. I think now we've got the evidence, uh, now we're in a position to be really pushing that and saying, well, um, dads are, uh, should be more central to our ideas about caring for children and growing them up. Most definitely. And I, I love, I and it's just amazing work that, that you do um, from a research point of view and, and this is absolutely critical um, from both a father point of view, but also a, a service delivery point of view. And um, I can honestly say that when I'm talking about this sort of stuff with dads, the inner more of a conversational point of view or a discussional point of view, I always ask them, now that you're aware of this um, informational knowledge, um, how do you plan on going how, how do you plan on playing with your child next? You know, what does it do for how you, you know, and they're like, I just can't wait to get home to play with my child now, you know, and now that I understand that play on the floor with them and me doing goo goo gaga, you know, on the floor isn't just something that I'm just doing just for fun, that it actually, you know, now I understand that this can actually have an impact on them 10, 20, 30 years down the track. This mm. This excites me. Now I've actually got some connection here. Um, so it's amazing. And I, I honestly say that um, it, it, it's it's really helpful for me to know this stuff. And I've learned this stuff from the, the work that you've done and, and other things that there's people like myself out there that are imparting this knowledge in, uh, as I said, in more um, discussion type settings and or dad's groups or dad's mm -hmm. night in sessions that we run. So I really appreciate what you've done. The other thing I, that the first thing that I was um, introduced to since I became involved with dad's group from a service delivery point of view is fatherhood inclusive practice. Mm. Um, and and I, so I, I thought it would be remiss of me to go through this chat with you now and not um, ask you to touch on that just a little bit and share a little bit of my view on it and or what I've found even recently um, but did you want to talk a little bit about, yeah, you, the paper that and you, the guide, the fatherhood in, inclusive practice guide? Well, uh, what comes to mind is is the wake up moment when I saw that, um, which is related to uh, one of the developments of SMS for Dads background, not the project. Um, we had a here in Newcastle where I live. We had a, a family situation where another family, a friend of ours, um, one of the um, teenagers was raped. And the dads uh, in that group talked about that a lot. Uh, and we decided we, we've got, I have girls myself and our girls were young. Uh, but in the group, we sort of added it up. And the stats mean that, well, this is going to happen again to one of us, you know, one of us dads is going to have a girl who's, who's going to be in that situation. And that was a terrifying idea. We decided to, um, I'd been a school teacher previously. And so I knew how schools worked. And a guy from the Steelworks and I got together and we set up a dad's group to talk to boys about how do you have relationships with girls and not rape them? Um, 
that sort of seems like a sort of good starting point. So mm -hmm. we got hold of a program and started that in schools. And when we went to the schools, they said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. You know, this is really the sort of thing that young, young fellows should hear about. And so we went into schools. We always had about um, eight or ten dads. So we didn't look like a teacher or a policeman or a priest at the top, at the top of the class giving a talk. And we'd have a class of boys. And the dads would go and we'd run them through this idea about, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? And the boys, even the roughest schools with the roughest boys uh, were perfectly behaved because having eight or 10 men standing out the front is such a different situation than any normal classroom setting. Um, and we had blokes from all walks of life. You know, we had gardeners and uh, we had one priest, I think, and um, a psychologist and uh, a bloke who worked a couple from the steelworks. Um, so we had ordinary sort of guys who were the fathers. And our idea was, we said, well, look, we'll do this and show them how it works. And then we'll just hand it over to the schools because, you know, it's a good thing. And we were getting really good feedback. The teachers, we always had a teacher in the classroom with us. They were always amazed. They'd say, that little rat, he didn't do anything. He did everything <laughs> to you. How come? For me, he won't even sit, you won't sit still for a second. And <laughs> the teachers were quite impressed with how the, the boys, particularly when we asked them to move the chairs, you know, we say, can you move the chairs out so we can? They said, did you see how they moved the chairs? Did they bang into anything? Did they hit each other? No. They just move the chairs. <laughs> amazed at the effect of having a group of men interested in these boys. So that that was a real wake up in well, that was a wake up in that area. But the main thing I took from that in the end was we said, okay, here you go. We, this is the format. You don't need uh, us to do this anymore. And and all of the schools said, oh, hold on a minute, you know, dads, you know. Um, we, oh no, that's oh, way too hard. Um, uh, I mean, they didn't say it exactly like that, but none of them took it up. And yep. it dawned on me that, oh yeah, of course, dads are just invisible in the school, really. Um, when they have parents' nights and all the mums come, um, or you have, you know, book covering sessions and the canteen, everything is built around mums, that mums are the ones who do things and dads go to work. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me that the services were basically incapable of um, engaging dads because they, they didn't, even though they were men themselves often, uh, they didn't feel confident in how to talk to fathers or they didn't believe that fathers would be interested and so on. So that was a real wake up for how services could be completely, not that they didn't like dads or anything like that, it's just that they were. Uh, their mindset was so focused on mothers that mm -hmm. fathers were invisible. Yeah, and and um, I, I thank you again. I, I just think it's amazing. And I, I, for one, like the guide is you've created such a simple guide uh, with, with thorough, thorough but simple guide. Like you could literally hand it to um, any even a student going through university that has no connection to fatherhood whatsoever. Oh, well, not, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, uh, they're not a father or they're not a mother themselves. And they could still easily understand how, how easy it can be to do and how critical it is if you actually just follow it 
Um, what I will say is though, and, and again, it's something that I feel like as part of my role when I'm either talking with service providers um, or, or graduates, um, how important it is to talk about fatherhood in inclusive practice. And I'm still, sadly though, I'm still continuously I'm reminded as to how um, little, like you said, that fathers are focused on what during their training. I was talking in front of about 15 graduates just two weeks ago that are going to the maternal and child health space and none of them knew what fatherhood inclusive practice was or none of them had any idea about it. Mm. And I thought, here is something that is so easy to follow. Here is something so you don't need to do a five years of a degree to, to work out, okay, how, when I go into this field, can I be a little bit more inclusive or supportive of fathers when I'm engaging with them? Something so simple. So again, uh, then rather than say, right, go and read this guide. <laughs> um, again, I find it, it's a great opportunity for me to share one little tip of how they through a father's lens as to how they can engage a dad on a meaningful level by asking just one question. So again, thank you oh, so yeah. much what's, for what's that. The one what do you tell them? What's the one question you tell them? My question that I that I share with them that they can ask is two is in two parts. One is if it's an expecting father, the question is um, how are you feeling about becoming a dad and and frame it in a way that's I'm not asking you as a to to screen you or to find out you know your mental health. <laughs> I'm asking because I'm interested. Um, that's question number one. The second part of it is if it's a father that you're talking to that's become you know the baby's been born and you're now a maternal and child health nurse and you're talking with them six weeks down the track. The question is. How's fatherhood treating you so far? How have you been going as a dad so far? That's it. Now, and I share with them, you, you, you're going to get a various amount of different responses, but at least at the very fact that when they leave that room, they're going to feel as though at least valued or part of the journey, part of the conversation, and, and actually, you know, not just sitting there because they're there with their partner mm. and along for the trail, you know, a trail along for the ride. And, the look on their face and I also say that this isn't something that you can just do once and you'll be really great at it you're going to be finding this really hard to do at first because you've not been trained you've not had that focus so anyway that's that's the question that I share with them right you know that's good um and I've had some feedback but they've they've put it into practice and yeah. not only did they feel better you know, that they had something to actually ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they could sense that there was an impact that they'd made with the dad, um, you know, in that moment. And, mm. and so, yeah, but again, I'm not, maybe I need to find an SMS service or something that we could, because <laughs> I'm not getting in front of enough. Um, Richard, you shared before about a failing. Uh, I, we'd love to know what's... Uh, have you got a success story, a fatherhood success story um, in your own experience? Um, success. Uh, well, I felt success, I suppose, in following kids' initiative uh, when I'm playing with them, particularly. Um, so that's sort of being sort of being told what to do. Um, 
and to success in the sense of uh, I put for those moments, um, I managed to put aside my own agenda and what I thought we were going to do, uh, particularly if you're playing with little ones, I think, when I was um, playing. And uh, I had a success just last weekend. Uh, I was in the park, family gathering, and a couple of the extended family are very big uh, young men, really big. And uh, the four, two four-year-olds were pushing them over. And these six foot four, uh, you know, I don't know, 150 kilo blokes, uh, when they were pushed, they just collapsed. They fell on the ground. They didn't just move. They actually fell going, oh, you know, making this big noise. And the four-year-olds, they were power drunk. They just couldn't stop. They just, every time they got up, they wanted to push them over again. And, and I thought, oh, now when I play with them, I don't fall like that. You know, so uh, a bit later they'd gone. And the, of course, the four-year-olds look around, who's the next person I can push over? <laughs> uh, so when, uh, when uh, she pushed me, I fell, like I really fell. And I felt something go crack and so on. Uh, so I, I was thinking maybe this is, uh, maybe there's an age range here that you shouldn't do. <laughs> but uh, I thought, wow, I didn't, I hadn't thought how, how completely they fell. Like that was such a, a complete satisfying feeling for those little kids that they didn't just push them out of the way, that they actually collapsed. And so, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I learned that uh, last Sunday uh, and I'm still uh, recovering, but I'm okay. <laughs> might, might have had about five visits to the physio. But <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's fabulous. It's a child-led play is uh, for those who are kind of wondering a little bit more on on what that might be and so look look up child-led play it's uh, it's um critical and what i've found as well and i'm also studying primary teaching at the moment richard and oh yeah um as part of my studies you you know you're learning about um uh play-based learning and things like that in in preschools and mm. um and I love the fact that I've learned that stuff that allows me to then share to the average mum or dad that daycare isn't just, they're just playing meaninglessly, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and what, and, and how that actually translates to when you're at the park and playing cafes that there's, you know, there's nuances amount, you know, whole numerous amount of things that you, that that child is learning that's building the foundations of their, schooling learning um you know numeracy literacy relationships you know learning about themselves in that five minutes of or 10 or whatever it is of cafe time you know when yeah. you're imparting the the the, the bark <laughs> cash cash money you know <laughs> it's yeah. um it's it's so you're right it play you know so child-led play is the I think term. one of the other things I've really enjoyed is the, you know, there's an issue around you like to teach your kids, but um, teaching them is a sort of a tempting thing to do, to lecture them. And you know that you also know that doesn't work very well. Um, but it's <laughs> an urge. You, don't, you want them to know things. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed was uh, uh, telling them stories 
and putting things in the stories which they didn't need to understand, but later they would grasp. And so when I used to tell stories all the time to my um, uh, young ones, preschoolers and, and um, uh, in primary school age, particularly, uh, I had a sort of ongoing story, you know, a saga that I'd tell uh, the next chapter of. And one of my children had a phenomenal memory. So I didn't have to remember the story. She'd remind me where we were. <laughs> and so then I could continue. And one of the things I did was I embedded um, Avogadro's number, which is a concept from the, I used to be a science teacher, uh, about the number of molecules in a gas. And uh, I just included that in the story. And she, of course, hadn't, didn't have a clue what that meant. Um, <laughs> and didn't need to for the story, but it was a feature of the story all the time. And then when she was doing, by the time she got to high school and was doing science in high school, she came home and said, hey, that number. <laughs> uh, so I was really delighted that I had successfully put implanted this sort of concept almost, you know. Um, that sort of thing I really like, that idea that you can, uh, I don't know, um, impart things in a way that isn't so direct. It's not like I'm teaching a science. I'm just sort of putting things in there that'll click with her later on. That's such a really good point. And because, again, if we're putting it into, um, you know, fatherhood practice or fatherhood time, you know, the fact that, again, like, because you don't see the result straight away, you never really know what the impact is of what mm. you're having, good or bad, right? Yeah. So you, you, it took maybe 10 years before she's come home and said that, you know, mm. but, but it doesn't mean that it stops us from still going through the process or, or, or doing what, what it is. You know, we talked before about the, the, the impact that fathers can have on their child's development in their adult years. Well, that's 10, 20 years down the track for most people. So, but, but don't let that go, all right, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm playing, but I'm not really seeing much here because chances are that that result you'll see in 10, 20 years time. And I, I imagine I'm going to feel more joy at seeing it at that point than what I would if it was instant anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so that's such a good message that you're sharing. So which leads into the next um, question I have is if you've got a tip or some kind of um, words of encouragement that you might um, have for a newer and expecting father. Words of encouragement, certainly. Um, don't underestimate how important you are, that you are important. Well, we now know you're important way before the birth, uh, not just because you've supplied some of the genetic material, but uh, for a number of things that you might do before the birth uh, and encourage the partner and support the partner to do, the mum. Uh, but certainly from the birth, once you have a, a baby, then you're very important uh, for that baby's development in all sorts of positive ways. So this is something your job definitely starts from day one and you have the opportunity to help develop that uh, little person's uh, brain and skills and, and competencies just from the way that you hold them and look them look at them and talk to them. Mm. Uh, and we now understand that babies 
develop their own emotional life by reacting to your emotional life so that when you're looking at that baby while you're changing their nappy or putting on their suit you the way that you convey emotion in your face the, the look that you have on your face they're registering that and thinking oh i get it that's uh, so if you're feeling grumpy and you're putting their suit on with a little less care than you would otherwise that happens um then they're, they're registering inside. I see, oh, I see, I'm, I'm feeling grumpy. Um, mm. They're registering their own emotions by looking at you. And I think that's a big thing uh, that you get to uh, develop your child's understanding of their own emotions by what you show them. And I think that's something that I certainly didn't get when I was in that role, mm. uh, babies particularly. Uh, I was very much thinking, well, you know, mum's the one that, knows how to do this, I'm here to help. Uh, now I, I think, well, we're doing a lot more than helping. We're, we're one of the big influences on that little baby's development in all yeah. of it. Yes, most definitely. Um, and and I, I want to actually seek an extension here on, that, on this question because um, I feel like sometimes we we, we talk about supporting partner, right? We talk about, you know, how to support your partner, but I'm not sure if we elaborate on the, that enough for people to actually understand, well, what, what does that look like? What does support my partner actually look like? Because I, I know for me, again, I find that it's really important to help fathers understand. And I wrote an article on this recently that, that fathers have this idea that because women uh, women and they are the ones that have pregnancy and give birth that they are somewhat an expert on being a mother or being a parent that it just should come naturally that they're nowhere near as terrified or they have they have far more confidence in their ability as a parent and know way more what they're doing than what a dad does when in actual fact it can it's absolutely quite the opposite where mothers yes they might be more schooled or they might have some kind of, you know, a little extra knowledge than us, but they're just as terrified and have just as little idea about being a parent as we do in reality. That's the way I, I think we need to look at it. Yeah. So, um, but for the dads out there, you said support your partner. What, what do you mean by that? What kind of ways could they support their partner? Well, let me just give a little plug here for going yeah, to the SMS for Dads website. Because we have part of our team, we've got a team of about 12 on SMS for Dads. And one of them who's been involved a long time is Dr. Chris May. And he particularly guy. has specialised in this support. So if you look up his writing, uh, a lot of the website material on support is written by him. Uh, he, that, that's really worth your while. But, in, but the idea, I think, um, of what is support is a good question. Because you're right, we, always, we get told that a lot. Uh, and there is that idea that you have to do exactly what the mum does to support. So that's another part of that picture that, you know, what you do might be different, you know. Um, one dad told us, you know, we're talking about how you stop your kid or how you stop um, being stressed about crying and nothing seems to work. And he found out if you put the dryer on and uh, it's spinning, um, and you lean on it, then the, the rhythm of the vibration um, 
was the was the secret for getting his child to stop crying and that was his <laughs> idea uh so mum was a bit puzzled by why he spent so much time in the laundry but <laughs> we don't have a dryer i'm on it to go get one <laughs> yeah. so i think you know, dads often have different ideas about support in that way but in terms of supporting the mum well i think one of the steps forward is to realize that there's different ways you could do that it one's emotional support like asking as you described earlier about well how are you going uh just asking the question to show that you're and being ready to listen so you don't have to solve the problem when she tells you how bad things are you don't have to rush into fix it mode that's one thing you can do but there's practical things you can do that obviously around the place um the ordinary things about the the baby's need uh, about cleaning caring and so on uh, feeding and then there's looking out for her where she might be either unsure or feel some shame about asking for help or information so you might be the one um, that works out really she should be talking to the gp uh, that sort of support where you're not fixing it for her but you're giving her encouragement to go and get some help or assistance or maybe to reach out to her sister or her aunt or her mum or somebody to come over when she's really strung out and she can't quite figure out what to do next and really needs some help but you're going to be at work you don't have to solve it by stopping work although that might be an option but you can solve it maybe by helping her reach out uh, for some help so there's various ways you can support her not just saying I'm here uh, but looking at those other aspects that's amazing I really appreciate you sharing that and I know that there are many 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 fathers out there that of course listen to this uh, podcast would find that uh, extremely helpful uh, and I think the other thing is that, let me add that the assumption that the mother's know exactly what they want and what they want from you uh, when we were in some antenatal classes we got the mums and dads to independently uh, write out what they do and what they'd like and when we asked the mums uh, does he do this and they said yes or no and then we said do you tell him when he does it you know whether it worked and they said oh no no i don't actually um, so getting feedback from the mothers is an important part of support. Uh, and that's something that obviously we're not in a position to insist on uh, from SMS for dads, but there's something that dads can keep in mind is to check and, and ask, you know, well, was that helpful? Um, mm. Rather than just, you know, roll with whatever happened and, and guess at whether it's helpful. I think you yeah. should ask. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I suppose, um... It, it, uh, yes, it would be a very tough question and you might not like the answer you're going to get, but I suppose extended to that is, you know, be a great idea to, or a helpful idea maybe to actually ask your partner how they think you are going as a dad as well. You know, um, again, you might not like the answers that you receive, <laughs> but I suppose if you, it's, it's just like asking your boss. If you're going to ask your boss, how you're going and you want the feedback you better be prepared to receive that you know constructive feedback um and so you know be prepared to put yourself on a platter and and, and what i found interesting we did a um uh, tom and i did a, a webinar with some 
uh, corporate fathers a couple of months back. And when you talk about feedback, one of the dads actually shared that he's got teenage children and he asked his children how he how they feel he is like as a dad. And, and I thought, wow, that's, again, yeah. that's very, very brave. And he said, you know, I was really confronted with stuff that I thought, you know, I thought I was doing well in and I wasn't or some areas I was doing better than I thought I was as well. But he asked his children how they felt he is going as a father and and um, it really helped change things for him to either stop or start or keep doing, you know, and I just found that such a great piece of advice to yeah. get the feedback. You want to know how you're impacting on them or how you're going as a dad? Ask your kids. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's very powerful. The final thing I wanted to ask you, um, Richard, you know, you've been, um, I suppose, in the in a professional sense in the fatherhood space now for um, the better part of maybe three decades. It could be more. I think that's my understanding, um, maybe a bit longer. But um, and you've been in so invested and engaged in it for such you know, for quite some time, and I. I don't see you stopping anytime soon. Um, so what does the future of fatherhood, what, what could it look like? What's the future of fatherhood? How could it look like for you? Uh, you mean the fatherhood space, how I think that will develop? Yeah, what would you like fatherhood to look like, I suppose, is probably the better way to ask that in the next, say, 10 years. <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, I'd like it to be more embedded in ordinary services, basically, uh, and for fathers to have more of a voice in how things are arranged, uh, even on the level of, like the services are <clears throat> obvious in the sense of like we, maternity services, um, we could stop calling them maternity services and start calling them family services. Uh, we could have uh, I don't know that we need identical services. We don't need like a midwife for every dad. I don't think that's it. An SMS for dads is an example of how you can be outside the system, but part of it in a way. So I'm thinking there'll be more things like dads group and SMS for dads that'll just be part of the service. And so they'll say, yeah, of course, yes, all the dads. And we'll do things that they've done in other areas where it won't be so much you have to opt in but we'll use opt out so that when a, when a birth is registered, the dad gets the, the message that here's your local dad's group. Um, you're registered for SMS for dads. And if you don't like it, then just send a text and we'll take you out uh, rather than leaving it to other, for the organisations to go and recruit dads. It's automatic, like it should be automatic in the way we do things, it should be part of the picture. And I suppose in father's own minds, <clears throat> I'd like to see more confidence that of our role, of our central role. And I think I think of that in terms of uh, on the industry level, where dads, I think, accept the company saying or the organisation saying, well, yeah, sorry about that. You know, I know you applied for leave, but we, we can't afford to let you go right now. Or yeah, I know you'd prefer to work part-time, but uh, we can't find somebody else to do the other half of your job. So you'll just have to stay doing 60 hours a week for the next five years. Uh, I think 
those sorts of things that are, you know, we have environmental impact statements when companies want to do things, um, not just mining, but other things. Uh, and there isn't a family impact statement. Uh, I think that would be a step forward so that uh, companies and organisations have to uh, account for the impact that'll have. You know, somebody, um, somebody was working on the ships was living near me and they changed their roster uh, to be six weeks away instead of um, two or three, I think it was. And that was just done, you know, bang. And that meant their whole family life was just completely, you know, uh, changed uh, without any consultation or thought about what that might mean. Mm. And so on. So those sorts of ideas, I think, are, are things that are growing. So I, I don't think it's uh, things that have to be invented from scratch. I think there's models around, there's examples uh, of services and, and organisations like Dad's Group uh, and others that are there. And I'd like to see them embedded in, in normal service delivery and for dads to feel mm, confident that what their fathering role is what's going to keep the society working well. It's not a, an add-on or an extra or just something private to do in your own personal space that's got no other benefit just, uh, just within the family. It's got enormous benefit to the whole community. So I think that ought to, that's what I'd like to see recognised. I love that. And I, I would think that now that there are more and more companies, you know, particularly like I don't think there's a law firm, a big law firm out there that I've heard of that hasn't now embedded the three months leave or whatever it might be three to six months leave parental leave um be it whether you're the primary caregiver or not you know they've got very um clear points around you don't need to be the primary carrier to have this you can even divide that into yours and you know a whole range of things so it's clear that there are companies and organizations that are going that way they're swaying that way and i i'm not sure I wonder whether they must have done some kind of background, you know, research into it before making that call, unless they just did it because the, another firm did it down the road. So they want to be the competitor. But I wonder whether or not this is, um, there have been companies doing this for a couple of years now, at least. And I wonder whether or not there is enough time for there to be an impact statement done or some kind of research into PwC or whoever it might be that could be like, okay, so we've been doing this six months leave now for three months leave for three or four years. How is it going? <laughs> Surely someone's yeah. looking into it. I'm sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they're keeping track of that. Uh, those, yeah. And companies like Spotify and that who have amazing parental leave. Uh, What's theirs? that you can take, you take parental leave and I think it's something like you take as much as you want, really. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we, I think we might need to go and get a job at Spotify. <laughs> yeah. And they, they say that what they have evaluated in that they say, well, people don't just rip the, rip the company off. What they, it's the opposite effect. It makes them very loyal. So they right. take the leave. It really improves their family life. And they think the world of the company that helped them mm. make this happen. So then they come back more motivated, 
uh, and uh, you know the Spotify get uh, the company gets a benefit from it. So definitely, and I think companies. This is a great message for companies out there. You'd have to be um, quite blind not to see or or know or realise that if you're either a father or a parent or an expecting father or parent. Um, and you're either changing jobs or you're in a job that they're not the first thing you're not we're going to do is go and look at your leave entitlements <laughs> because we again as time goes on and, and fathers are getting more and more involved and wanting to be home more and be more intentional and active in their child's life and as they are starting to realize more and more the impact that they are having on their children in the early years that over time this is actually going to be an expectation and that if you don't i'm just going to go look elsewhere and i don't care if i'm going to get paid 10 grand less i'll go there regardless Ooh. because they will give me what i want yeah but it's all based on the back of the work um you're a huge piece of the puzzle richard that we were talking about i, I cannot thank you enough um, on behalf of myself and all of the fathers across the globe, they're, they're, I, I hope you understand or at some point realise the footprint that you've, um, that you've put into fatherhood um, for all fathers, as I said, and I, I just cannot thank you enough for all the work that you've done. And, and I know that there are other people, Chris May and other teams of people around you um, that have helped you along the way, but from, from, uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I cannot thank you enough for all of the amazing work that you've done. And I think my kids would say, yeah, that's really good, but we've taught him most. That's probably true. You know, you, you, that's absolutely true. And uh, so maybe we might get them on one day yeah. and ask them collectively, How, <laughs> how's Richard gone as a father? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be nervous. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Richard. It's been, I, I love talking with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I, I cannot thank you enough for you giving, it, giving us your time. Okay. Well, nice to chat with you, Adam. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you would like to find out more about SMS for Dads, Dads Group, join a digital Dads Group session, which is where these podcast episodes are recorded, or connect with some of our amazing partners, check out our website at www.dadsgroup.org. We'll link it in our podcast notes for you guys. Please remember to like, subscribe and review, and please share with any dads and families that may benefit from hearing this podcast episode. Thanks, guys.